We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Harry Potter, the original. Harry Potter is a retired education and administrative professional who focused on development and implementation of programs for student welfare. With over 31 years of experience in the education field, he has gained expertise as a facilitator, leader, mediator, and motivator. Many can attest to his compassion towards students and the wealth of experience in overcoming obstacles and barriers that prevent individuals from leading and reaching their potential. Harry was born in Providence, Rhode Island and attended Providence Public Schools. As a young man, he displayed a passion for learning and a genuine interest in history and education. His passion led him to be accepted into the Talent Development Program at the University of Rhode Island, where he pursued a Bachelor of Arts degree in History and Secondary Education. We'll talk more about that in our interview. Now Harry invests his precious time and talent in the hospice space, from supporting young camps to facilitating adult grief support groups, he finds that this space is a platform to give back to the community and families. What I appreciate most about you, Harry, is your positive energy, your commitment to generous leadership, and our mutual love for the doc. Welcome to ROG, Harry. Thanks for having me, Shannon. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. I appreciate you too. So please share a little of your background. Well, I was born in Providence, Rhode Island, like you said. I grew up in what we call the hood uh, on the West End and then uh, South Side of Providence. Uh, I attended Providence schools and I grew up with uh, five siblings, a mother and father. And um, we can talk more about them, but all of them are gone. I I, uh, had the unfortunate to to have to bury bury them all, but we can talk about that. But when I was a little boy, um, my mom surrounded me with four sisters and a brother. And being the youngest, it was that love and their generosity that actually made me who I was. So I ended up going to Mount Pleasant High School as a ninth grader. And this was at the time when there was uh, segregation, forced busing. So it was it was very dangerous. It was a lot of riots and I was caught up in that. And at that point, um, I was told to leave Mount Pleasant High School. They put me in a special program uh, for kids like who had who had a lot of energy, let's put it that way. And um, from there, I spent two years in that program in a Providence School Department's alternative program. And from there, I came back to Mount Pleasant High School as an 11th grader. And this is where my life changed. This is the beginning of the renaissance of Harry Potter, if you may. Um, My first year as a junior, I met a young black African-American administrator by the name of Dr. Theodore Haig. And I remember him coming up to me saying, what are you going to do with your life? And I says, oh, I'm a drummer. I was a musician. I was playing in the bands. I says, I want to play for Michael Jackson. I want to tour the world. I want to be a big shot on the stage. And he said, well, that's probably not going to happen. He says, uh, have you thought about going to college? And I said, no, 
that wasn't even in wasn't even in the cards. He says, "Well, let me look at your schedule." So he took a look at my schedule. That's the academic schedule I had for that year, and he was he was dumbfounded. Back then, what what it used to happen in those schools? They used to track minorities into non-college classes. That would be the basic math. That would be the basic English. That would be your industrial arts programs. I, being a young African-American, was tracked there, which meant I had no access to college. I wouldn't have never met the criteria. So it was this, this young administrator, Dr. Haig, who took me into the guidance office and for the first time changed my classes to chemistry, to uh, college English, and to algebra. And that was the first time I ever was engaged in a college experience, classes that were going to bring me, lead me into college. That was the beginning of the change for me. And that went on, of course, all the way till I became a senior. And then, of course, he was still in my life. And he then introduced me to the talent development program, prepped us for the interviews, helped us with the applications. And before you knew it, that senior year, 1976 Bicentennial, I was enrolled as a pre-match student at URI on campus for the first time in my life going to college to a summer program. Oh my gosh, right. I mean, do you know his story? Like what prompted him to be so life-giving and, and generous? I don't know his whole story, but ironically, I winter in Florida and last year I was at a basketball game. Now, Dr. Haig played for Providence College. Oh, okay. His teammate is the, is the uh, coach of Miami. They were playing Central Florida. Uh. It just so happened at the end of the game, my son and I were against the wall, and this distinguished gentleman was walking by, and my son just happened because he had a Providence College shirt on. And my son said to this man, what do you know about Providence College? And when he did that and looked up, it was Dr. Hank. So I just I just walked back to the end of the wall and I stood there. And then as he looked up at me and we made contact, I started crying right away. Because uh, I knew who he was. Uh, and he said to my son, he said, you asked that man right there who I am. And that's when we embraced, we talked. Um, he's a prolific writer. He has a PhD. He has an EDD and he has a Jewish degree. He's always writing. Um, he's He does a lot of historical context stuff. He's actually in Florida. We reconnected oh, and we're in touch again. But thank God. he saved a lot of young people like me and created this access into the talent development program. Mm. Oh, I'm so grateful for him and how you have made it your mission to pay it forward and find countless ways to give back and be a contributor. So at the, the you and I met at the celebration of life for our beloved Dr. Agnes Duty at her celebration of life. You gave a beautiful testimony to your relationship with her. And I'd love for you to share that with our listeners because I think that it's really the ripple effect of generosity. It's that ROG that, you know, people like, I don't know that she knew what an impact that would make, but how that has then lived on in you. So if you don't mind sharing a, a little background. So so again, I am a, a talent development student. It was 1978. Um, as I said in the speech, 
I was looking for an easy A class. I mean, I had finished my first year. Most kids look, most students look for an easy A class. And I had a choice between PE and communications. I just happened to pick communications. And it happened to be Dr. Duty's class. And unbeknown to me, I remember sitting in that class with this woman walking in. It reminded me of a grandmother walking in with her signature braided crown, right? And her purpleness mm-hmm. on her, walking in very casually. I remember sitting there, it was about 15 or 20 of us. And we're talking about non-verbal communication. And I'm sitting there going, wow, I'm going to, this is the easy A. This is, I got this, right? No brainer. No yeah. brainer. And <laughs> then she, you know, we talked for about 90 minutes and then she gave us a writing prompt. And that was a Tuesday and Thursday. She came back with the written prompt. And I noticed she was, as she passed everything out, she, she gave me mine and it had a big question mark circled in purple. See me. So, you know, I was taken back by that. You know, no one else was seeing her. And so um, I, I started, you know, I started thinking, did I say anything wrong? Did I do anything appropriate? No, none of that. And we walked back to her office. And I remember she was sitting on her side of the desk. I was on my side. And she looked right at me. And she said, young man. I'm going to be honest, brutally honest with you. She said, you are functionally illiterate. Providence has beaten you on your education, has ripped you off. URI is ripping you off, and we can't allow that to happen. It was from that conversation, the relationship started, and it lasted over 45 years. And I remember her first marching order, and that was... For me to go to the bookstore and pick up the Little Brown Handbook. The Little Brown Handbook is a is an English writing book, and it has a workbook, and it, it teaches you about the parts of speech and how to do it correctly by right? standard English. And we worked on that for two years straight. And I'm talking about assignments like, I want you to critique John Chancellor on Channel Ten, and I want you to tell me how he's making his transitions in wording and subject and verb agreement. And I had to do that and come back and give her the analysis. Wow. It was that kind of stuff. And we did that for about two years. And then I became pretty proficient in writing. And then yeah. from that point forward, she just became a second parent. She became my second mom. And we have had that relationship for years. That woman has helped me get into law school. She has gone through some of my darkest times with the loss of my family members. Um, I have enjoyed countless years of spending time with her at one one post road. And that's just that's where she lived. It was this 13 mm-hmm. acre estate that was just gorgeous. Um, I experienced both her husbands and the loss of both their husbands. And we spent a lot of time with each other. Um, one side story I like to share was I was in a special program to get into law school. And I did get in. And it was through the help of Dr. Dooley and Cleo, Council on Legal Education. And I remember when I first got on to um, the University of Bridgeport campus, I went to see the dean. And the first thing he said to me was, I don't know who this woman was, but I know if it wasn't for her recommendation, you would have never gotten into this school. And the first sentence of that recommendation, if I remember it correctly, said something like, although Harry's scores are terrible, doesn't represent who he is. And let me tell you why. It changed the trajectory 
of that experience. And although I didn't complete law school, because I realized this is not what I wanted to do, I finished a year and then I went back into education. Again, Doc was there for me. Yeah. And that relationship and her legacy yeah. still lives on in my soul every moment, every moment. Oh my gosh. I love that. And and do you often reflect back, Harry, on you being that young drummer? I mean, do you have the moment to be reflective about that? That's a life reflection. It's a scary one because had I not met Dr. Haig and gone into TD, and then had I not met Dr. Judy, um, my life wouldn't be as it is today. Most of my friends that did not go to college did not listen to Dr. Hagen. He he worked with quite a few of us. Most of them are gone now. Most of them have served time in jail. When you grow up in the hood, there's a few things you, you learn really quickly. One, you have a pathway to prison, and you kind of accept that. Sad as it is, you kind of accept that. And two, if you don't get out of this bubble then your life is in that bubble and your kids' lives are in that bubble and it becomes generational. And I always think back to both of them and I just look around my life now and I'm fairly successful. I don't want for anything. I'm retired. My kids are doing well and I look back and say, Lord, but for them good people who out of their own generosity, they didn't know me, saw something in me and decided to invest some some human some human energy into me. And they probably had more confidence in me than I had at that time. And and they both said it. Harry, it wouldn't have been possible if you did not walk through the doors we opened. And I always keep that in mind. We can open the doors and I've done it thousands of times. You open that door, but if that individual does not find the passion to go through and take on the challenges, they don't go through. They stay in the same spot. So I do a lot of reflection on it, and I'm always humble and always thankful. And I think that's why I always want to give back. Yes. Oh, without a doubt. Yes. And, you know, you've been through so much in your life, and you always find ways to to make a contribution. I wonder what, like, when you talk about how you needed to walk through the door that they opened for you, and then you have since been opening doors for others. Like, is there anything that you've picked up on as to like why someone would or wouldn't walk through the door that's opened for them? I think a person wouldn't walk through because they lack confidence and it might be generational. It might be from their long experience, their upbringing. Um, I think people walk through because they realize what the alternatives are in the back. I can tell you, when I went to URI and it was that summer program, you had to pass that summer program. If you failed the summer program, you didn't go any further. And I remember studying, sitting there, afraid to fail because I knew if I failed, I was going back to sell Providence to the streets, which meant jail. It was that mantra that forced the energy in me to stay focused. And as my friends were going out and they were young college kids, I'm talking about just in the summer program, um, I was hitting the books. And it was difficult. I didn't have a skill set. I didn't have a frame of reference. And I was struggling. But the struggle wasn't enough to stop me or discourage me. In fact, it energized me to try to get it right. And although my grades didn't reflect that, 
my effort did. And to me, a C was like an A because it meant I still had access and I wasn't going to be thrown out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you were passing, you were getting through it, and then you realized how much potential you really did have. (laughs) Absolutely. And and the doors that would open for me and for my kids and for my grandkids and the influence I could have on people in this community. I grew up here. I spent my whole life here. And I still give back to the community. Even to today, um, I went to a restaurant on Friday. And I walked in. And and, and the minute they say, hi, Mr. Potter, I know who they are. I don't know them, but they they were one of mine. Mm -hmm. So she hugs me. And as I'm there, there's a table over to the right. And it's about five different people. They're they're adults. They were all my students. This was last Friday (laughs) at, at a restaurant. And we all stood there with me in the middle, just hugging each other. That's the sort of impact that I've had on on students all throughout Providence. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, because I worked at URI as a counselor and hall director, even there before I went back into education. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I can envision that right now. Oh, yeah. And happens all the time. energy and the love that you're generating. And so I, I, this might be a hard question for you, Harry, because it's just really how you think. But mm-hmm. if there's something that you could offer our listeners to like a mindset or a way in which you look at life that enables you to be open to those opportunities and also invite people into your heart the way that you do and just the ways that you look for opportunities to be of service. Just curious to get some of your mindset. Well, first of all, I think it goes, yeah, it's a tough question because to me, I automatically go back to my upbringing and what made me who I am. It really comes down to somebody's soul for me. Mm-hmm. It comes down to mindset would be, are you willing to share what made you successful in your wealth. And I don't mean that in terms of money. I mean in terms of your knowledge, your access. With people who, one, don't look like you, don't share your SAS status, and two, are you willing to share that without expecting anything back? If the answer is yes, then the littlest thing that they can do could make the biggest difference mm-hmm. in the person's life. Mm-hmm. So it's, it comes down to a person looking inward and saying, can I help humanity in such a way that, one, it's gratifying to me because I'm doing it, but two, it moves on the course. It moves the person forward, and they become a vessel of moving forward. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to individual uh, understanding of self. It comes down to a spirit of hum- humility. It comes down to a spirit of kindness. And if you have those things, and I think as a premise, most human beings do. I like to believe as a premise we do, Mm -hmm. then most folks can give back in simple ways. And you're right. It's not about financing. But it's about everything else. And and I always say this. You don't know the impact you have on a person until you invest and then you see. Right? So the littlest things you can do for a person could change their life forever. And I think people generally in their soul, in their heart, have a willingness to do that. And they need to be courageous to step forward and do it. Because short of make saying everybody has love, short of that, I believe most people have compassion in their, in their soul, in their heart. And I believe people want the best for other people. 
And if if you're that type of person that can give something back because you you care to and you feel that, you will make a big difference in people's lives. And that person you meet will make a difference in other people's life. Yeah. The legacy moves on. That ripple effect, for sure. You know, when you talk about the little things, curious to get your thoughts on, what are some examples of little things that are really big things that you think like anyone could make these kinds of contributions? You don't have to be an administrator. You don't have to work in hospice. You know, what are some of like the the more obvious, but maybe less popular or, you know, uh, ways in which people can make a positive difference? The little things for me, believe it or not, the older woman that's in the mock is struggling. I look for that. I go in, I'm doing my thing. If that person is struggling, I'm the first one there. It's that quick interaction to support somebody who are in need, whether they're struggling or not. Um, the littlest thing is, believe it or not, say, hi, how you doing? <laughs> How's your day going? Oh, it's good, sir. Oh, good, good. It's a beautiful day. You have these general conversations. Those are the little things. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, every Wednesday, you see me with a bucket and a, a handheld flipper to pick up garbage. I do that because it's garbage night tomorrow. So there's a block here with about six houses on. Everybody in those houses know me. But not only do they know me, but they come out to talk to me. And we share about our experiences living in South Providence. And I'm always looking for what can I do to help them? Some of these folks are older. So I, I'm the one that's going in there, picking the garbage out in the yard, weed whacking their yards down, keeping their properties up. And they just come out to share their love. And it's not about money. It's about the energy and the relationship between two human beings. Those are the little things. Even these young kids that come from middle school, they walk by my house. And I'm all, I wait for some of them. And I look for the tough one. The tough, you know, I know. I said, young man, how was your day today? Did you get in trouble? No, I didn't get in trouble. How's that report card? And he gives me this shaky look. And I said, nah, 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 nah. I need to get up to your school and check on it. And then they look at me like I'm crazy. But I have done that. <laughs> and then I created the relationship. Those are the little things that if you have access, and I have access to the Providence School Department, those are the little things that can make a difference in mm-hmm. people's lives. Yes. You know, you, based on what you, what you have in your repertoire. Absolutely. Just being kind and generous is, it can make the biggest difference. Totally. But you know what I'm hearing in your examples is noticing. You know, you're noticing the person who's struggling in the grocery store. You're noticing that student walking down the street. You're noticing your neighbors needing, whacking. I think, you know, sometimes we're so preoccupied with our phones or other distractions that I just don't think that people are noticing and bothering to pay attention. So you kind of have to be outside of yourself to notice what's going on with other people. So that's one of the things I'm taking away from what you're sharing. I think that's a good point to share. Um, people are tied into their phones. If you go on a bus or you go into the market, nine out of ten times, they are, they're looking at their phones. They're not paying attention to the world, right? And that's happening at the dinner tables. That's why in some families, like some of my kids, will say, phones are down, dinner time, we need to communicate. But I think you're right. It's about being conscious and intentional about how to act. Mm-hmm. And it's true. I'm noticing and I'm looking for it. And I think that's who I am. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. kind of why I volunteer. I'm on Save the Bay. Save the Bay is the organization 
that creates access for the ocean and I'm on the board. I do that because I want to be intentional. I want to make sure people have access. We have a clean day. Hospice work, that's intentional work. You know, those folks are in need. My mom went through the hospice. That's how I got involved in it. But that's intentional work. Mm-hmm. So it's about noticing and a willingness to jump in mm-hmm. and, and to lend anything you can at the moment. Of course, you always got to be smart. You got to be real wise to jump into the right situation. <laughs> it's being conscious and being intentional and noticing of what's going on around you and being prepared to lend support. Especially now I'm retired, so it's just about being active and and being tied into your community in such a way that if you see a need and something's going on in front of you and you can support it, you support it. When I was a ministry, that's different because I had thousands of kids to do it with. Yeah. Teachers to influence. Uh, My name helped a lot. I used to go to elementary schools and read books to kids and sign their books. They, They didn't know about color or race. And that's what I would do. I would go around and... And all my colleagues would say, can you come and speak to to address the, the uh, audience of these young first, second, third graders? And they'd be all excited. And they'd have their little Harry Potter books. And I would talk to them about the books. And then they would all line up and I'd sign my fancy name all the way down, all the way down. It was just something that I did. Uh, I love it. Yeah, that was cute. That was cute work, I used to call it. <laughs> Do you see a connection between you and the character Harry Potter in the books and movies? The correlation is this, um, that, well, let me just back up. When I was principal of Hope High School, my secretary walks in and says, Harry, uh, Katie Couric's on the line. Katie Couric was today's show. And I go, you're kidding me. She goes, Harry, I'm telling you, it's Katie Couric. She has her team on the line. They want to talk to you. And I thought she was goofing. And then she looked at me and she said, Mr. Potter, I'm not, t- I'm not, I'm not kidding you. He's like, pick up the phone. <laughs> so I picked up the phone. I laid back and I said, hello, is Harry Potter speaking? How can I help you? It was Katie Curry. So she want- wanted to do an interview with me. And they sent a team up to Rhode Island. They spent two days with me. And we would go into Barnes and Nobles. And I would purchase the books. And there would be kids there. And they would slip a, a note to the kids that this is Harry Potter. So we did all this. is all on tape, right? So we did all that. And then we went, I got trained down to New York and I was with her on set for about an hour. She asked that very question. I said, the only thing we have in common is the fact that he's magical and I'm creating magic in these schools, moving kids forward. Right. And it was that basis that I allowed that whole interview to happen at Hope High School. I said, you can't make it about me. You know, you got to make it about Mr. Potter creating magic for his students. And then they interviewed a lot of the students. So in that sense, that's the connection. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Oh my gosh. Thank you. So at the end of every episode, we try to recap some of the highlights to give our listeners some practical things that they can do to apply what they've learned here to their own work and lives. So one of the things that you shared is like, are you willing to share what makes you successful and your wealth? Like really to think to, to ourselves, like, am I willing to invest in others, sharing my wealth and not, like you said, not your financial wealth, but just the, the things that you've learned in your life, um, taking time to understand yourself, what makes you, you, what makes you kind, what makes you humble. Um, and then you also talked about how we can, um, 
you know, really be that ripple effect and do some of those things by noticing the needs of others, by making contributions and, and jumping in. What, what else would you add to that? I, I think that that sums it up. I think it comes down, it's going to come down to uh, the individual. And if you're fortunate to have had a generosity brought to your life, I think it's incumbent that you give back. And, and you know, most people do. Once you experience and you realize, but for Dr. Haig, Dr. Duty, Dr. Margie, I got a ton of them I can name, right? But for them, I would not be here. You realize from that point that you have to give back whenever you can. Something happens to you when you do that. And that's why I'm at peace. With all the tragedy and all the things that happened, I always sit back and say, and say that I've given, given my best. I left it all on the field. And it's nothing I would change and I would do it again. Ah, well, thank you for being you and for being my friend and sharing some of your heart with me. I'm so deeply grateful. And thank you for reaching out. And it was nice seeing you again, as always. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.